Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Kara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll-Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. There is no one normal in puberty. The only thing that is normal is that everyone is different. Everyone starts at different times and has different journeys along the way, and everyone ends at different times. This is what makes puberty so complex. There is no single roadmap. I always laugh with the kids in our workshops. Wouldn't it be nice if we could tell you that on May 26, 2021, your puberty will start? And on May 26, 2028, your puberty will end. And all your friends are going to develop at exactly the same time. But guess what? It doesn't work that way. Because puberty can start within a range of several years and can last as long as seven years. And some folks have to go first. Some folks go in the middle. Some folks go in the end. But today's episode is about the early bloomers. The kids who go first in puberty, the kids who are at the vanguard. And what it means to be an early bloomer means different things for biological females and biological males. So today we're going to walk through what it looks like in each group and also discuss the potential emotional and social impact on the kids who are early bloomers. And one note, we don't yet have the data on how, if at all, the pandemic is going to affect kids' puberty. That will be a separate episode once we have more data. So, Cara, with all of that said, let's talk about what it means biologically to be an early bloomer. Set the stage for us of what that looks like physically. I'm going to do that, but I want to rewind to the very first phrase that you said. Mm which is, there is no one normal in puberty, which my brain heard as, there is no one normal <laughs> in puberty. Also true. Also true. And also the opposite is true, which is, everything is normal. I love that. In puberty. I love that reframing. Right. Um, yeah, well, that's the trick my ears played on me this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it's true. There, Everything is normal, including being an early bloomer. Mm -hmm. 
So let's talk a little bit about what that means. And let's start by redefining some terms so that everyone's on the same playing field. Great. So when a child enters puberty, what that means is that they begin to have maturation of the organs in their body that allow them to reproduce sexually. That's a lot of biological talk. Basically, for biological females, it means that the ovaries are beginning to mature. They're going to be able to ripen some eggs that are going to be released over the course of their lifetime. And maybe one day will be fertilized and become a fetus or maybe not. For biological males, it means that testicles will mature and become sperm-making factories. And those sperm may or may not one day fertilize an egg. So that's the, that's what puberty means. What does puberty look like? Puberty looks like a whole range of things. The guiding force of puberty in uh, the female body, in the biologically female body, is estrogen. There are lots of other hormones that come to play in, progesterone being one of them. Even testosterone in the female body is a player, but we focus largely on estrogen for a lot of reasons. It tends to do things like make your breasts grow and enhance the curves of the body. Um, eventually, estrogen is a big player in the widening of the pelvis and the widening of the hips. Estrogen circulates in the brain, just like all the other hormones, and it can make one moody, shall we say. <laughs> um, I don't know what you're talking uh, about. No idea. And so the earliest signs of female puberty are usually those very charming moods and breast budding. And so when we talk about the earliest signs among the earliest bloomers, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing moody girls with these breast buds that seem to poke out of everything they wear. You don't mention hair, pubic hair, underarm hair. Talk to me about why you don't include that in that universe of early signs. Because hair, as you might remember, is generally growing or sort of hair is bullied by the adrenal androgens. That's a different group of hormones. It's not estrogen. It's not progesterone. It's actually a cousin of testosterone, the adrenal androgens. Um, they are released from the adrenal glands that sit on top of your kidneys. And that's what tells your armpits to sprout underarm hair. It's what tells the pelvis to, or the, the pubic area to sprout pubic hair. So these are on a different path governed by different hormones. And so we call that sort of path of development adrenarchy, not puberty, but adrenarchy. And while adrenarchy happens around the same time as puberty for most people, it's really not technically accurate to see underarm hair or to see pubic hair and to conclude that a child is in puberty. So if I have a kid if someone has a kid who has, you know, pubic hair or underarm hair, that doesn't necessarily mean they're starting puberty. Correct. And, you know, when I was in the office seeing patients all day, every day, it was a very common thing for parents to bring their kids and say, my child has all of this pubic hair all of a sudden and she's five. Right. What do I, you know, what do we need to do? And, you know, you, you do want to talk to your pediatrician about it because there may be some other signs of early puberty that go along with the hair growth. And so you want your child to be examined. But for the most part, uh, the vast majority of the kids that I saw had isolated adrenarchy. They just had hair development and nothing else. And, and what you say is, that's sort of a medical nothing burger, which is frustrating and great all at the same time. But people should still go see their pediatrician if they're seeing pubic hair there on a so younger child. There are so many reasons to go see your pediatrician. One is to get a good answer that is not a Googled answer. Right. The second is to build a rapport with your pediatrician so that you have a foundation for the questions that will follow as your kids get older. Okay. Because this is what we do. This is... We build a relationship with you and your kids, and we are there to answer the questions that are keeping you up at night that, you know, for the most part are questions that we can answer in two minutes and will help everyone in your house exhale. Right. So, yeah. But I, I want to not forget about our boys for a second because yeah. early puberty in girls, we've described the earliest stages of puberty. The earliest stages of puberty in boys look really different. Testosterone governs the earliest stages of puberty in boys. 
And the testosterone factory in the body are the testicles. The ovaries make estrogen for the girls. The testicles make testosterone for the boys. And that's very significant because the ovaries are tucked up in the abdomen and you don't see any physical changes in the ovaries uh, as girls begin to mature. But the testicles hang down outside of the body for boys, which means that as they start taking on the role of making more and more testosterone, they will grow and you can, big asterisk, see that. Mm -hmm. And I put the asterisk there because... I, this is not a homework assignment to go look. Right. Um, you you know, most boys who are starting to enter the earliest stages of puberty are also starting to enter a stage of privacy. And they really don't want, I mean, I, there are some people who have nudists running around and they're right, so right. lucky, those people, because they know exactly what's happening to their boys. But for boys who are private, don't go examine your son's testicles and try to figure out if they're growing and if he's producing testosterone. That's not helpful. But it really is the only sign of the early stages of puberty for some boys for a year, sometimes two years. You just don't even see anything else. Can we ask our sons if they've noticed whether their testicles have gotten Good bigger? Good luck to you, Vanessa. <laughs> oh, you, you know what my house is like. <laughs> you can absolutely ask. It sounds something like, hey, honey, I'm just wondering, have you noticed, have your testicles gotten bigger? And that answer might sound something like, you know... I don't know. Or it might sound something like, yeah, when I had my hands down my pants yesterday, I noticed they felt slightly larger. <laughs> I want, want to normalize this for other people who might just simply have a door shut in their face. And that is a very normal answer as well. But do pediatricians measure boys' testicles at like physicals, at checkups? It, it, they should actually. And the word measure can be used very loosely. So right. Um, most pediatricians who are doing a thorough full physical exam will do a penile and testicular exam. They will make sure that they can see what is going on in the genitals, and then they will do a quick feel of the testicles and make sure the testicles feel healthy. Most pediatricians who've been doing this for a while know when testicles are starting to grow. There's this fabulous necklace called an orchidometer that is a strand of, of I think it's a dozen beads. Yeah. And they start the size of a prepubescent testicle, and they get to a fully grown adult male testicle, and they sort of size up. And some pediatricians will actually hold the orchid up next to the testicle to see how testicles are measured in volume. So like it's like <laughs> teaspoons and tablespoons. It's very, very That's a good funky. math. That's a good word problem. What yes. is the what is the volume? Can you measure the volume of his testicles? What could go wrong with that? <laughs> um, so some pediatricians will use an orchidometer. Most general pediatricians don't. Most Orchidometers are the tools of the trade for endocrinologists who are the hormone specialists. But, you know, I have, um, in my practice, I worked with a group of seven doctors and one of them wore the orchidometer necklace around her neck when she would see a teenage patient. Oh my God, patient. that's and it was, amazing. It was an awesome icebreaker. It's brilliant. Yeah, it was great. So it was which one cool. are your balls? Basically, and yes. Just to clarify, when we talk about the testicles, and we think about the scrotum, the testicles people use, it's like when we think about vulva versus vagina, define for us which aspect is actually the testicles, what's the scrotum? Yeah. The testicle is inside the scrotum. The scrotum is a sac that holds the two testicles. And then the testicles are actually, you know, you, you, don't, you don't see the actual testicle because it is not an external organ. It's inside the sac, but it is the oval hanging organ that, you know, I don't know how else. It's how the little thing that goes up and down when they get cold or they have the reflux. Yeah, it's actually can, two little things. I mean, the two up. little things. Yeah. And it's like a little elevator. Yes. Depending and they're, on they're the, round. They look like... Um, in young boys, it might look like a large grape, each right. testicle. And then, you know, adult male testicles are significantly larger. I mean, they get they get up to 25 mLs and they can be, uh, which is Speaking 25. Of volume. <laughs> which is 25 <laughs> milliliters, which is, you know, it's, it's a significant size. So what um, would that be in a cup of coffee, I wonder? Um, yeah. Like an espresso shot? Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. A cortado? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's do a coffee chart of <laughs> testicle sizes. That would be excellent. But yeah, so I think when we talk about early bloomers and kids who are going through puberty early, for girls who are on the front end of developing, it's often more obvious to the observer. Right. 
But for boys, it's often neither obvious to the observer, nor is it obvious to the boy because, you know, it's sort of like watching paint dry. You don't really notice your testicles growing. Yeah. Right? But boys do have mood swings. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Because our culture is very busy talking about female mood swings. Our culture loves to demonize female mood swings, which, by the way, are not entirely negative, right? I mean... But everybody, but they're and, not, and they're not just female. Everybody oh, has the mood swings. Of course, yes, yes, um, yes, yes. I do remember one of my kids saying to me, "I just started crying, and I can't stop crying, and I don't even know why I'm crying." And I was like, "I know, I'm sorry. I don't know why you're crying either, but that's totally normal. It's so normal. It's normal for girls. It's normal for boys. You know." The one thing you didn't mention, and I'm curious about, is oilier hair and oilier skin. Yeah. So the sebaceous glands, which are the oil secreting mini glands that are in in our skin. So you have a pore, you know what a pore Mm -hmm. is? Like the little, um, it almost looks like a flask in a chemistry lab um, that dips beneath the skin. The pore, if you have a hair growing out of the pore, that's where the hair comes out. Mm -hmm. It is also where your sweat comes out. And it is also where oil will come out of the skin. And the pore has this teeny tiny little gland called the sebaceous gland that secretes the oil. Those glands are very sensitive to the adrenal androgens. Okay. Those are the same as those hormones that governed hair. However, uh, for sure, testosterone and estrogen have some impact on those glands as well. So the whole question of acne, sweating, body odor, body odor is a byproduct of sweating because um, the sweat feeds the bacteria mm-hmm. on our skin, the bacteria eat the protein in the sweat, and then the byproduct is the smell that we call body odor. Those things that happen on the skin happen partially due to some of the hormones that govern puberty and partially due to some of the adrenal androgens. So it's kind of, it's not as separate as hair growth is is, from estrogen. It is not. And ask any fifth grade teacher and, you know, they are begging, except in pandemic, they're begging (laughs) their students to wear deodorant or to shower more. Um, So it is more of a universal early developmental trait is sort of the increase in body odor. So it's increase in sweating, a little bit of increase in oil secretion, even among kids who might otherwise not have any signs of puberty. Okay. And we will do an episode on hygiene. Uh, (laughs) We may do many episodes on hygiene and how to talk to our kids. That is not today, but we promise we will get to that over and over again. Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? That's where Umla comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere. So we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra. And it's game-changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. Umbra's one-of-a-kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding, which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their Umbras. It's why we say that the Umbra may be your first bra, but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around, and find your Umbra, plus lots of other puberty info, at myoomla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A.com. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine, and it actually helps 
calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep. And I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky. And I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. I'm Kat Sadler, and it sure is a beautiful day. After such a bleak year, it's time for some joy, and I cannot wait for you to hear my fresh and fun new show. I crack open about mom life, relationships, wellness, and beauty, all the things. Plus, I have provocative conversations with some of the most fascinating and famous faces in pop culture. I'm here to lift you up and make you think. Check out It Sure Is a Beautiful Day with me and you every Tuesday. One of the things that I love about what you've described is that there's actually a lot of similarity between male and female puberty with the exception of the ovaries and the testicles, there's actually, there are commonalities that we often don't talk about in our culture. We're very busy 
differentiating male and female puberty. Yeah. Um, I, I want to explore that a little bit because I think in contrast to that, male and female early bloomers can have very different experiences. Yeah. So let's talk about that. And I'll start with the universality. When I went to work for American Girl and I was tasked with updating the Care and Keeping of You book, which had originally been published in 1998, and this was around 2011. And the world had really changed a lot Mm -hmm. in those, what was that, 13 years. So I was tasked with updating the original. And then I wrote a second follow-up book called Creatively, The Care and Keeping of You, too. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, if it works, don't mess with it. Trust me. The first day I went to American Girl and I met with everyone there. I mean, this, you know, it's kind of a dream gig. Yeah. Um, The care and keeping was already a Bible for kids. Epic. Totally epic. I mean, and here I am, I walk in and I pitch a boy book. I pitch a boy book at a huge company called American Girl. Mm -hmm. And they looked at me like I had lost my mind. But I did it because puberty is really, it's no different for girls and for boys with a couple of very small exceptions. And those exceptions are generally the ovaries and the testicles and the organs connected to them. Otherwise, the experience of puberty, the transformation through puberty, the emotional shifts, the social shifts, all of the the trappings of puberty are much more similar than they are different. And my editor over at American Girl is a mom of a boy and her son and my daughter are just a few weeks apart in age. And I knew we were going to be friends when I went in like a crazy person and pitched a boy book. And she basically looked at me and said, not now, but soon. Okay. And she and I sort of saw it the same way. And so when five years later, guy stuff came out, which is, if you flip through it, it is the care and keeping of you. Right. It's a great book. It's the same book. My 10-year-old loves it. It's just, it just meets the need of the culture, which is packaged, reflecting sort of more of what we brand boy. Um, But I hope, I really hope that when my kids have kids, those two streams have merged so fully that there are not gendered books. Mm-hmm. I really hope it's like the care and keeping of guy stuff. You know? Right, right. <laughs> I hope it's whatever that, but that I mashup do, is. I mean, what I think needs to happen is there's all the cultural overlay and the cultural baggage about male and female puberty that creates a seeming experience that is like, you know, miles apart. Yes. And how we talk about kids that age and how we treat kids that age and how we communicate with them or don't communicate with them. I mean, there's many, many layers that can make it quite different. And living on the extremes of puberty, that does feel more gendered. And here's why. Mm -hmm. Whether we're talking about the earliest early bloomers or the latest late bloomers, those kids tend to be standouts in their gender and in the entire group. So the earliest early bloomers tend to be girls Mm -hmm. because girls tend to enter puberty a year or two before boys do on average. And the age would be what? So the typical girl will have the first externalizing signs of puberty. So moods, breast buds, things like that. Sometime between eight and nine with some girls, particularly black girls, having a higher likelihood of entering as early as seven to eight. Okay. It's not that the majority do, but it's that it is considered normal for kids in this age range to be entering puberty now. Does that make sense? It does. And I want to put a pin in the conversation about, because we're going to mention a few items that reference different races and ethnicities and what age they enter puberty. And we have access to a wonderful expert who you know really well, Dr. Louise Greenspan, and we will cite some of her data today. And we and are. We will drag her onto the show. <laughs> we will drag her Louise, onto the show for a five part series on. about early puberty, new puberty, right. potentially how the pandemic will affect puberty, That's right. um, what we know about why some kids start earlier or later, what we don't know, all of the major questions. 
I will say it's not because you forgot to give them organic milk. Correct. Last week. Correct. That Correct. we that we do know. That we do know. But for the purposes of this conversation, it's important to define what's considered normal. And at this point, it is considered completely normal for a girl to have signs of puberty between ages eight and nine. And if she is black or Hispanic, I, I should say Latinx, although all the data says Hispanic because it is old data. Okay. But for those girls, it is considered normal to be in the seven-year range and have some signs. So not the majority, but it is you're within the realm of normal. For boys, it is considered normal to enter puberty between nine and 10. And for boys who are black, it is considered normal as young as between eight and nine. Okay. So and the research on Hispanic or uh, Latinx boys, is there research yes, on that? Yes, and they are okay. a little bit closer to Caucasian boys in the data. But, you know, the data really lags. Yeah. I mean, Louise's data, which was groundbreaking, was collected between 2005 and 2010. And in fact, her earlier data before 2005 really rocked the world, but it was really her 2005 to 2010 data that we're talking about in 2021. So we, we've got some new data data we need to look at, yeah. right? And there are people studying this and there are people who are working very hard. But so the earliest of the early bloomers are seven and eight-year-old girls. The earliest of the early blooming boys, well, those boys are eight, maybe nine, 10. So the seven and eight-year-old girls are alone in the experience. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to talk in another episode about late bloomers. And the same is true in the reverse order. Girls tend to finish puberty before boys. So the latest late blooming boys are alone mm -hmm. in the experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really significant. And it's why we talk about early blooming among girls a little bit more right. than we talk about it among boys. First of all, we don't see it in yeah. our boys. Yeah. And second of all, the girls are really, I mean, the second grade girl who is developing breasts is very solitary in that experience. And that's a tricky experience yeah. to navigate. Yeah. I mean, I will say that at Dynamo Girl, we were coaching, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten year old girls. And we were seeing seven year old girls with breast buds. We were smelling body odor in our gym classes with seven and eight year olds. That wasn't surprising to us with nine and 10-year-olds, but it was surprising to us with seven and eight-year-old girls. And we thought, huh, no one's talking about this. And most of these girls are not getting health and human development education until fourth or fifth grade. And they were in, you know, second grade, that's as you right. say, third grade. And so that's what really inspired us to start running puberty workshops because we were seeing firsthand that these girls were developing long before their parents expected them to, and it was normal. And, and you know, you and I share this common thread. It's why I started Umla, right? right? Which is a company that makes product for kids going through puberty, but we have bras that fit girls as young as seven or eight. Right. Why? Because they, they want and need them. Yeah. Right? And they need something that feels comfortable and looks appropriate and, and you know, is 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 right for an eight-year-old and not an 18-year-old just Correct. miniaturized. And so it's it's super interesting to see the redefinition of normal. Yeah. But early, there, there will always be early. Even though normal has shifted down, there will always be early. And the trick for adults, right, parents, coaches, teachers, is to understand what that early is and what that normal is and to regulate... Yes responses and not freak out. Because as you often say, when parents and relatives and trusted adults and coaches and teachers and all that see early development in girls, often they draw a direct line to the sexualization of Correct. those kids, right? They're actually drawing the line to social sexualization, right? They worry for those kids generally. Um, I, I don't think it's that they think the kids will become sexual. I think it's that they think the kids will become sexualized. That the, the I think world, it's both. Yeah, well, let's, I think it's let's both. dispel it for a second. Because right. pubertal development, sexual development, while they're clearly connected, right? The whole goal of puberty is to be sexually mature. Right. You do not, in the earliest stages of puberty, become a sexual animal, <laughs> right? Puberty lasts a really long time. And our second and third graders are not running around with 
you know, enormous libido. They're not, you know, this, this fear can be put aside for parents who are going down that road. Right. Pack that away. You've got a while. It's very hard for people to reconcile when they have an 11-year-old girl who has, you know, full breasts and pubic hair and widened hips and is maybe menstruating to separate the fact that she looks like someone who could actually be, you know, 16 and sexually active in our minds and our experiences versus the fact that an 11-year-old girl is still an 11-year-old girl. Right. And a nine-year-old girl, you know, developmentally is still a nine-year-old right. the, girl. The brain, the brain develops on a very chronological path. Right. And no matter how quickly or slowly the body develops, the brain is not really impacted by that. It's going to do what it's going to do. And it goes painfully slowly. So... You know, I write a lot about when they look like grownups but think like kids. Right. And it's this concept of, you know, they they have the the package that looks like they should be able to make mature decisions, but we all know they can't. They can't in middle school. They can't often in high school. Many can't in college. I mean, the real hardwiring of a mature brain is in place and on full throttle by the time a child is in his or her late 20s, some some scientists say even their early 30s. So there is this widening chasm between when you start to look a little more adult and when you start to think adult. And it's it's two decades. And if you take nothing else away from this episode, just remember that your child's chronological age is still where their brain is and yes. where they're developing. And it's the way they look even if they choose to dress in more mature ways, even if they take on some of the cultural trappings right. of older kids, they are still young kids. And it's really critical that we remember that and we treat them that way. And they may still want to crawl into our laps and cuddle. They still may need tight hugs at night. They still want to be tucked into bed. They still may be, you may have the kid in your house who takes care of all the other kids. You might have the mama bear kid who is so mature and is using, you know, we'll talk when we talk about brain development about the prefrontal cortex, and that's the CEO of the brain, the most rational part of the brain. It's there. It's just not really wired in in the same way for teens and tweens um, as it is for older adults. But there are always those kids who seem wise beyond their years and who can tap into their prefrontal cortex and they can seemingly always make the right decision, right? Cheat car, we don't know anyone who was like that as a kid. Because I, you know, that doesn't sound like anyone I know. No, 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 no. It's very (laughs) unfamiliar to me. Uh, (laughs) It's not fun to be that kid, let me say. (laughs) I don't know why I would know that. Um, It's not fun to be that kid, but some kids are hardwired to be that way. And those kids are still, even though they're able to access that good decision-making part of their brain, their brain is still chronologically whatever their age is. Right. Meaning the 15-year-old who seems like she or he, it's usually a she, mm-hmm. I'm just going to stereotype it a little bit there, but there are he's, many of them out there, but she or he can be the, the smartest one at the party, can be the, the caretaker of everyone. That kid is still a kid. That kid still needs to be taken care of. That's correct. That kid is still going to make mistakes. That's that's correct. We have to give them permission to screw up and make mistakes. We have to give them hugs and love and guidance the same way we would. The temptation is to let those kids go off and do their thing because we're like, oh, they got it. They don't need this. And sometimes it can be harder to watch those kids make mistakes than the kids who screw up all the time. That's right. Um, I mean, in our house... One of my kids is like that. And when when she like, you know, gets a bad grade on a test or forgets something, we're like, yes, that's so great. We're so proud of you. I love that you got a C on your science test, right? She's like, what is going on here? What is with you people? So those kids need caretaking as well. And that can be that can be easy to forget. I know that I often forget it as a parent. Yeah. So a lot of us remember or were those girls who developed breasts early. And most people can even describe the body language of a girl who developed breasts early, right? Her shoulders 
are curved inward. Her posture drops. It's as if she is physically trying to hide the fact that she has breasts. And at some point, I would love to have someone on to talk about that experience. I was sort of like, quote unquote, right on time with that stuff. So I didn't have that, but I did have friends who did, and it was really hard on them. And there was bra snapping and there were comments and all of those things, which was really difficult. What we do know in terms of the data is that based out of an Ohio State Research Institute called Ruling Our Experiences or ROCKS, they did a girls index where they surveyed 11,000 girls across the United States. And they found that the percentage of girls who would self-report a decline in confidence, it was at least 25% of those 11,000 girls reported a decline in confidence during the middle school years from fifth to ninth grade which, as we've just described, are sort of in the heart of puberty, of the years of puberty. Not the early stages, but the heart of it. And we can explore this more another time, but I really think it's critical to look at the ways in which girls being early bloomers can affect their self-confidence, can affect their self-esteem, particularly if no one is talking to them about it, particularly if folks aren't giving them the tools the conversation, the bras, the menstrual care products, all of those things ahead of time, right? If life feels like it's happening to them rather than they're walking into life prepared with the trusted adults at their sides, it can be a very difficult and complicated experience for them. Yeah. And I I think that Gen Z is the beneficiary of much more conversation around all of this. So the kids I will speak with tell me it's not that they have shame mm-hmm. about having breasts. Mm-hmm. Sorry, their boobs to right. Gen Z. Right. So we should use their lingo. Right. It's not that they have shame about having boobs. It's that they just don't want the eyeballs down there. Yeah. And that's what explains the posture and sort of that whole affect. I think that is a shift from our generation. I think there's so much more conversation around, yeah, I've got them. They're my body. I also think there's a lot more conversation about sort of whose body you're in and owning your body. And the, the fact that the the gender spectrum is far more fluid now, or at least it's socially accepted that it is far more fluid now, has really helped move the needle on the conversation about boobs. Um, and that's really important. But I do want to dive into the rocks data in another episode because it's it's amazing to look at what are the drivers of low self-esteem for girls. Yeah. It is very, very clear that even though we've given girls tons of language around body development, they still take a significant self-esteem hit in the middle school years. Yeah. Yeah. And what is that? And I also would like to dive in just for a moment about early blooming boys in particular. hundred percent. I might know one who lives in my house <laughs> who might have looked like a man in the sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating to watch. I myself was a later bloomer. My husband was a later bloomer. Neither one of us had any skills to deal with this sort of under our own roof. And suddenly, you know, we had a child who in the sixth grade was heading very quickly towards my husband's height and had just all of the externalizing features start to appear in seventh and eighth grade. So by the time he finished middle school, he looked like he was 18 Mm -hmm. years old and adorable, but 18 years old. I can attest to that. He Uh, is adorable. So, you know, and he was not the only one. Um, And interestingly, he gravitated towards a couple of the other kids who looked more physically mature because I think there was comfort in that. Although one of his very best friends did not enter puberty until, I mean, just by the skin of his teeth as middle school was ending, uh, was when he started to show the very first signs. And there are pictures of the two of them. They they must have an 18-inch differential, right, arms right. around each other, the best of friends. So these physical differences don't end friendships, but the, it helps but they him. Do, but they do shift. They can shift friendships. <laughs> they can. And parents have to be open to the fact that they're kid's best friend for the last eight years. Yes. In this time, friendships may shift and we have to let go of the BFFs forever for oh, male yes. and female kids. Yes. And and I will tell you that in 
I mean, my my son went through a very long single syllable phase. So this might have taken like three or four weeks to get this full sentence out of him. But he would say at the time that he didn't like being treated as if he was older than he was. Right. But he was also extremely aware of the fact that his friends who were physically immature were treated as younger than they actually were. Right. And he found that more offensive. Like if he if, was protective of them. Yes. And if and if you're gonna weigh the two offenses against one another, somehow to him, he had the lesser of the two evils. But he was very he recognized that he was going to be in situations where he was going to be pushed or asked to do things right. that older kids were challenged to do and he wasn't ready for them. And then came pandemic right when he was sort of at the tail end of eighth grade. And, you know, the, the pandemic was devastating for so many reasons, but there are silver linings in many families. And and his silver lining, I think, was he he hung out at home for 14 and a half months. And when he got back to school, everyone had kind of caught, caught up, up. Right. Um, which was a gift for him. And I do, I do want to do an episode specifically about how do we handle it for kids that we are raising, that we're educating, if they're feeling the pressure to be a certain way, act a certain way, look a certain way, how do we give them the tools to handle those those moments? And, you know, in our day, we would call it peer pressure, but I actually think it's much more complex and nuanced than just the concept of peer pressure. That's right. Um, so we will dive into that. Can you just talk for a second about the benefit of being an early blooming boy? The benefits are huge. And it's really important for us to acknowledge them and to talk about them openly because the physical advantages of being bigger, especially in middle school, allow boys to excel on the field and on the court in ways that smaller kids who have less lean muscle mass are able to excel. And so it initially, it sets the smaller, less developed boys up at a disadvantage. What we are going to talk about in our late bloomer episode, I'll give you a little sneak peek into it, is that that is only a short-term benefit. Um, and, and the social confidence piece, too, is only a short-term benefit because later blooming boys, especially on the field or on the court or in a competitive arena of some sort, they often feel that they have to work harder, they have to be scrappier in order to be as good, and the long-term benefit to the later developer is greater. So the easier coast of the early bloomer allows for early massive success, but you know they don't have to work as hard for it. Uh, it comes a little bit easier. They've got a little swagger to them sometimes that the later bloomers don't. Right. And so the immediate advantage may not be a long-term advantage. The other side note is that the way kids grow, and this is really significant, for girls who are early bloomers, if they go through their pubertal growth spurt early, they are usually the tallest in the class in fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, but then they might be done. Remember we talked about if you have your period regularly for two years, right. then your your growing generally stops um, when you're a girl. So the earliest blooming girls often end up shorter. This is not true for the earliest blooming boys. Hmm. The earliest blooming boys have a growth spurt. The um, sort of average blooming boys have a growth spurt and the later blooming boys have a growth spurt. And actually it's the later blooming boys who may end up a little bit shorter in the long run, not a lot, but a little. Uh, and we'll get into that when we talk about late bloomers. Great. I feel like there's more to cover on this topic. So we're going to end here with our practical puberty takeaway. But I think this is just an intro into understanding what this means for our kids. In the next episode around this concept of early blooming, I want to dive in what it means for parents and how we can love and support for educators, for coaches. Like I want to give people, adults, the tools as they see this happening in real time. Yeah, that's right. So my practical puberty takeaway for today is to love the kids, hug the kids, care for the kids, even if they look like they are five to 10 years older than they actually are, because they still need that love and affection from you.
What's yours, Cara? That was mine. Oh, I'm sorry. That was mine. But I'll just give you the visual of it, which is yesterday I came home and I just picked up, tried to pick up my six foot tall, 15 year old (laughs) son. And I plopped him on my lap and I hugged him like he was a baby. And he looked at me like, what are you doing? And it was that, you know, you just need to. And then he... I felt like I couldn't breathe, and so I had to let <laughs> and him get him off. <laughs> Which I think is a sort of a, a nice um, metaphor. analogy metaphor yes, for it's parenting. It's <laughs> I can't breathe. Go. go. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts. Or check out our Instagram, at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.